I want to talk a little bit this morning. Guys, if I gave you, if you had a hammer and a nail, come on up for a second. Um, there's a, uh, I want to talk this morning about this idea, this concept. Go ahead and just line them up there, guys. Um, there's this Americanization, I, I think, or there's something about the gospel that presses, we want to have something to do with it, and we want really strongly to have something to do with it. And so as a result, many times, I don't know if it's an, it's an American culture thing or it's, it's just a, a depravity in us sort of thing, but there is a, many times we come at the gospel from this perspective that Christ died for the sins that we committed yesterday. But somehow the sins that, that we're engaged in now or that we'll fight tomorrow or in a year, somehow we've got something to do with that. And if we don't do well, somehow the gospel has less impact on us today or tomorrow than it did for yesterday. And so as a result, it's, it's really, really important for us to hammer the gospel into ourselves at all times. So I want to take a second to not stand in front of that speaker. I want to take a second to, to take a look and, and watch these guys do something. You are, this is your cue guys, you are the wood. These hammers that these guys are holding is the grace of God. And the nail that they're nailing in is the gospel. These guys, these men, are the Holy Spirit. They are the scriptures. They are seasons of dryness. They are people around you. They are churches. They are stories. They are the scriptures. But ultimately, here's what everything in life is about. You are that wood. Those nails is the gospel. And God is pounding in your head over and over and over and over and over again the gospel. We've got to pound it into our brains. Martin Luther said this, I must hearken the gospel. Pay attention to, hearken, listen, closely pay attention to the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches me what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. To wit, he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. This is not something that we ever get past. Ever. You're never going to get past it. We're going to hear a story of Stephanie today of somebody who has encountered, engaged that gospel, and then felt like she had something to do with it. And in her failure, paralyzed herself. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. In other words, Everything that you'll ever learn is rooted in the germ of the gospel. 
We planted the, the, the garden right down the road from here. There are seeds in there that will one day spring up to fruit. The seed of all of that, the seed of our lives, the seed of godliness in our life is the gospel pounded into us. Luther goes on to say, Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well and teach it to others and beat it into their heads continuously. This, gospel, this story series was intended to be three weeks for Dave and I to figure out what was going to be coming next, to buy us a little bit of time. We were going to do Ecclesiastes. That's what we should be halfway through it right now. But God, in his providence, has shown us the gospel in the stories of one another's lives to pound that nail. Imagine God orchestrating all these events, pounding that nail into our lives over and over and over again. And this morning is a beautiful, another beautiful picture of that in Stephanie Hammond. So hit that, Kyle. Christian family. Um, we went to church on Sundays. We went to church on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Uh, it seems like we were always in church. Um, my dad was a youth leader for a while, and I think that's where I initially fell in love with the Lord, was just um, seeing these youth um, and their love for the Lord kind of rubbed off on me. So I was saved and baptized, and then um, about sixth grade, we moved churches. Um, I don't, I think the pastor left at our old church, so we went to find one closer to our home in Florissant. After we got there, I, I joined the youth group, and I was heavily involved in the youth group. I did the um, discipleship weekends, and youth camp, and mission trips, and um, the True Love Waits. Um, so I did that 7th and 8th grade. I was really involved. And then my freshman year, well, middle of my 8th grade year, we moved um, to go to, I would, I was scheduled to go to a different high school. So I didn't really know anyone. Uh, and conveniently, my parents went out of town with my brother to, um, a hockey tournament and I decided I would have um, a little gathering if you will at my home um, I was staying with a friend so I wasn't left alone but um, we invited a handful of people and I had never been to a high school party I didn't really know what they were about I knew um, it wasn't going to be innocent and I knew there would be alcohol there, but I never thought um, there would be a mass amount of people. Uh, the 10 or 15 people I invited, I guess, invited 10 or 15 more people, so there was well over 100 people there, and the cops were called, and so then my parents were called, and um, I was grounded. Nobody ever sat me down and said, like, what happened? Why did you do this? Why did you think this was a good idea? Um, we know it was just a mistake. It wasn't, you know, I didn't murder anyone. I wasn't, um, 
dating bikers or covered in tattoos uh, at that point. So I really felt hurt. Uh, I felt like people were judging me. There was, uh, I was 14, so um, my only income was babysitting. And those people that I would babysit for stopped asking me to babysit because I had this huge, massive party. Um, and so it, it, it just, I didn't understand how one little mistake made me like this criminal in their mind and I couldn't even watch their kids anymore. That's when I started like pulling away from the church. I didn't really want to get involved anymore. I didn't want to do putt-putts on Friday night. I didn't want to put on a happy face and act like everybody loved me. When I was 17, I started dating a guy and we dated for about 10 months. Um, by this time, I, I just was not involved in church at all. I wouldn't have sex with him. I, that was something that I, I, my virginity was very important to me. Um, and then he decided that he needed to get that elsewhere, so uh, we ended up breaking up. Roughly the same week, um, I was sexually assaulted at work. Um, that was kind of the first time that um, I felt depressed. I didn't want to get out of bed, I didn't want to go to school, I didn't want to interact with people. Um, and my breakup with my boyfriend kind of masked that. It kind of made it look like I was just really upset about my breakup with um, this guy. And really I was just... Uh, there was just a lot of emotions all at once. I was hurt about what happened at work with him. I was, I didn't understand how God could make men like this. Like, I, it didn't make any sense to me. The way I dealt with it was, was alcohol. Alcohol was my outlet then. And um, the same year I got to uh, my first physical altercation with um, and it was a release. It just, uh, fighting and drinking were a release for me. Um, shortly after that, I graduated high school. Um, I had a free ride to flow for two years to community college. Um, I was encouraged by my parents to capitalize on that. Um, and I did, and I went for, I think, a semester, maybe more, but um, I would just physically be at school for maybe 10 minutes, and then I would leave. Um, it was just high school all over again. I was not into it at all. Um, so I kind of dropped out, and then um, my parents had a rule that I had to be um, enrolled, employed, or enlisted in order for me to live in their home. So I was working a couple jobs, I was tired, I didn't really, I felt like I needed to exhaust all my options, so I went ahead and enlisted in the military. Um, this was August 2001, and I called my mom and um, I said, hey, I, I signed up for the Navy. <laughs> and, I think she didn't believe me at first, and then it was kind of tears, and I was like, Mom, um, there hasn't been a war in years, like, it, I'm totally fine, it's not a big deal, and then 
um, a month later, September 11th happened. But then I went to boot camp. I went to um, A school is what it's called, but it's extra training. And there I received a phone call from a friend of mine that I went to church with. She went to the same church. Um, and she told me about uh, some stuff that she had gotten into at her, at her college and it got her kicked out of the dorms. Um, um, she was a lesbian and so she had come out at her Christian school and they kicked her out of the dorms. Well, our church heard about this and um, she had been working in the nursery and they asked her if she would stop working in the nursery because they had heard that she was a lesbian. Um, I, that was, it, A, it was really hard for me to hear that she was a lesbian, um, and B, I, it was really hard for me to, to understand why, um, our church that is supposed to be full of loving people and caring and, um, forgiving would, would treat her as if she was an outsider and not worthy to be loved and couldn't be around children. My distaste for church was finalized with that. I was, I wanted nothing to do with church. So when I finally got my orders and I was stationed in Fort Worth, um, I never looked for a church. I never desired that. Um, I think I went once on Easter. Um, but it was never, it was in the back of my mind, but it was never a priority for me. Church and a community was never, that was never what I was looking for. Um, rather, I found a boyfriend, um, and we, I guess, fell in love, or what we thought was love. It, it, things were good for about six months, and then, um, he turned 21, and our relationship kind of shifted, and um, he started dressing differently and going out late, and um, shortly after that there was rumors that he was um, seeing other women and messing around with other women. Uh, in my heart and in my mind, I refused to believe that that could happen. Um, I thought, I've given all of myself to this man, I don't understand why he would need to find someone else. Uh, after it kept happening, I realized that there, maybe I was lacking, and maybe I was the reason why he needed to find something else, because I wasn't providing him with something he needed. So instead of coping with it and breaking up with him like a normal person would, um, I turned to alcohol and um, more physical altercations with women that allegedly slept with my boyfriend. Um, I went from social drinking after work um, to drinking at work, drinking during work, drinking after work, drinking all weekend, drinking by myself. Um, alcohol really just numbed everything and made me made things easier. We ended up breaking up right before I left the military. I realized that I couldn't stay in the military. I wasn't cut out for that kind of lifestyle. When I got out, I enrolled at Missouri State and I got an apartment with my friend from church that I talked about earlier. 
My drinking did not stop. I thought that it would, but after being there for about a couple weeks, maybe a month, um, I started having weird um, anxiety and panic attacks whenever I had to leave my house or um, just going to the grocery store became difficult. I dealt with that by drinking at home and drinking alone because uh, my roommate had to live her life. She couldn't sit there and hold my hand through all this. I went to a doctor to figure out what was wrong um, and she sent me to counseling and eventually I was diagnosed with um, severe depression and social anxiety disorder. She also prescribed me sleeping pills to help regulate my sleep because I was sleeping all day and I'd be up all night watching Seventh Heaven or anything that was on. It didn't take long for me to realize that I could mix the sleeping pills. If I mixed sleeping pills and alcohol, um, I would black out and I would have um, these whole chunks of time that would be missing, but that was um, a relief for me because I did not want to be awake. weekends and on holidays, I spring break, I would go down to Texas and I would party with my friends and I would mix alcohol and sleeping pills. And I would wake up at my ex-boyfriend's house um, and I had no intentions of ever calling him or texting him or even seeing him. We were not together. Um, but I would not remember anything. I wouldn't remember how I got there. I wouldn't remember anything from the night before. Um, it was just, it was messy. One night in particular that I was in my apartment alone and I had been drinking and I was watching Seventh Heaven and um, the girls on there were married and had kids and had careers and they seemed so put together. I know it's a fictional show, but I was roughly their age and I was drinking by myself in my apartment, scared to leave. Um, so I went down the hall, went to my room and took one sleeping pill and um, then I, I looked at the rest of the bottle thinking like, I, I don't have to do this anymore, I don't have to feel this way anymore. be super easy for me to uh, just sleep um, inevitably it would be it just forever it would be nice and it would be a relief but um, instead I got on my face um, and I prayed that um, God would give me a reason to want to wake up and a reason to um, to not live this way and to not end it. I fell asleep that way, and over the next few days, I realized um, I can't live there. I can't live in Springfield. I can't live by myself. If, if left to my own devices, I don't know that I would choose to live. I clearly didn't want to. 
If you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. You're going to hear more of that story in just a second. I want to bring some scripture into the conversation this morning. Let's, as you, uh, as you turn, I'll pray for us. God, I pray that you would make your gospel clear to us, Father. Lord, it's a simple prayer. Just uh, descend upon us now, Father, in the midst of, of where each of us are. God, you're putting your grace on display, your gospel on display through the life of Stephanie this morning, God, but your gospel and your grace is on display in every life in this room. Father, connect our hearts with, with your gospel and your beauty. In Christ's name, amen. The first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15 say, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. There's so much here, especially as it relates to, to Stephanie's story. Um, the first phrase that he utters here, I would remind you, brothers, it's something that we're never going to get past or need to be reminded of. The Gospel is something that we always, always always need to be reminded of. I'm your pastor. It's my job to know the gospel and be continually reminding it to you, and I need to be reminded all the time. i got to have it pounded in my head. you got to have it pounded into your head. Paul here is saying, I want to remind you about the, the gospel. It's the gospel that I preached to you. And, and look at the, the differences here. Look at the, the past, present and future. And the, the conjugation of these verbs are a little bit different from the Greek language, but let me help you. Which you received in the past, the gospel which we received in the past, which Stephanie received as a, as a young child, in which you stand there in her apartment in Springfield, contemplating suicide, she stood in the gospel. Wherever you find yourself now in this moment, in seasons of, of greatness or seasons of dryness, you stand in the gospel here now. No matter what's happening around you, you stand in the gospel. Verse 2, and by which you are being saved. That's where the sort of the confusing conjugation of Greek verbs happens, but ultimately it's where you are headed, the, your sanctification, how you are, are growing in your Christ-likeness is rooted in the gospel. That's what that's speaking to you. The gospel is the thing that brings you towards Christ-likeness, that reminds you of the greatness of who Christ is. And then he pauses and says, this is the word that I preached to you. Hold fast 
to this word. I delivered it to you as of first importance. Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, is saying to you, the most important thing you can ever grasp in all of Scripture is this. Christ died for you. Christ died for your sins, and not just yesterday's sins. Not just the party that Stephanie had as a 14-year-old. He didn't just die for that sin. He died for every one of them. Past, present, future. It's a reality of the gospel. According to the scripture that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Just like Luther said in the quote we read before, the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein all knowledge of godliness consists. This is the gospel. Matt Chandler's got a new book out called Explicit Gospel. In it, he says this, for some reason, namely our depravity, we have a tendency to think that the cross saves us from past sin. But after we are saved, we have to take over and clean ourselves up. This sort of thinking is devastating to the soul. This sort of thinking is devastating to the soul. It's the sort of devastation that leads us to, that led Stephanie to a contemplation of suicide. That that was an option, a reality. It's devastating to our souls to think that the gospel doesn't penetrate who you are, where you are now, and doesn't shape who you're becoming. It's absolutely vitally important. And here's the thing that Stephanie's going to tell us in a second with the rest of her story, that God has orchestrated events. God has orchestrated events. He has told things to happen that have happened to get us to pay attention to that. That he wants to speak his gospel to you. He wants to send people with hammers and nails to pound into you the gospel. Said a few couple of sermons ago, we miss the most significant moments in our lives when they're happening. It could be that a really significant moment in your life is happening right now because you're realizing that Jesus Christ is pounding the gospel into your head right now. Despite everything that's happened in your life, despite that everything that is currently happening in your life, and despite everything that is going to happen in your life, Christ died for you to lay it down. And he's orchestrating events, including this one, to speak that to you. Don't be confused. God is speaking this to you. Roll the rest of that video. I called my mom and was like, hey, how do you feel about a roommate? Because I don't want to be here anymore. And um, they were totally supportive and, all right, we'll come get you, finish out the semester, and um, we'll come move you back. A couple weeks later, I was packing up my bathroom and I found a pregnancy test and um, it was old and I paid money for it, so I wanted to use it. Um, and 
and I couldn't give it to my roommate. She was a lesbian, and I don't know what she would use it for. So I just I decided to take it, and it was positive. Um, after I called the number on the box and talked to everybody's supervisor and pretty much everybody that worked there, I accepted the fact that I was pregnant. Um, and then I had to call my mom and dad and say, hey, how do you feel about two roommates? It's kind of a package deal. I met Ben at a soccer game. Um, and we started, we were going through similar situations, so we, um, I, I think we connected over over that, uh, just that pain and being betrayed and um, we grew closer because of that and then eventually we started dating. Um, we started dating, I say, in October of 2007 and we were married in August of 2008. We got married, we had Kingsley, um, and then we were always kind of searching for a church. Um, we went to my home church for a while. Um, I clearly did not feel comfortable there. I wasn't, I, I didn't feel safe. I think we tried several other churches, but I would, it was like I was consumed in flames the minute I walked in. Almost like they knew that I like had a baby without being married and it was like, I just felt really judged and uncomfortable. Even though no one was probably judging me and no one was probably even looking at me, but I still felt like that I was just this heathen and they could just see it. Like, it was stamped on my forehead when I walked in. Um, and eventually we just gave up with churches. We were just complacent and um, I, I really feel like God was like, all right, if you're not gonna come look for me, then I'm going to come to you, like, you have no choice, this is my plan for you, and this is how it's going to work. Uh, one night my dad texted me and was like, hey, I want you to come to church tomorrow. And I was like, ew, really? I don't like that church, I don't really want to go, why are you making me do this? And he's like, I can't talk much about it, but I want you to go, there's going to be a guest church there, and you need to be there. So we went and um, we sat in the back row, like true Baptists, we were <laughs> in the back row, taking it all in. Um, and then um, I think it was during worship that we were, we were like, all right, like we don't need to be hiding back here, we need to, to move up there. And we moved closer and um, I, I don't really remember what Rick preached about, but it, he was basically smacking us in the face, I felt like, um, in a good way, in a good way, not a bad way. So we started going to North Church. It, it was fairly quickly after that. Um, and I think it was probably the second or third time. I don't think it was the first time, but it, the second or third time we went, um, we had the kids in the nursery. And um, we went back there to pick them up. And Rick said, um, why did you name him Boston? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I totally like didn't want to bring this out of the closet till later. And now I felt like I needed to say what that Ben was not Boston's biological father. Um, and I explained to him Boston's biological father was a huge fan of the Red Sox. 
and Ben is not him. Like, um, and after we left, I was like, oh no, they're totally not going to ask us to come back. They'll probably lock the doors next Sunday. Like, we're done. We're going to have to, <laughs> we're back on the market. <laughs> um, but Rick either texts Ben or sent him an email and explained that um, Jen's oldest is not, um, Rick is not her biological father. That kind of sealed it for us. Like, it, I just finally felt like there was some place where I fit and I wasn't going to be judged because I had that party when I was 14 and, you know, I drink and I have tattoos and I have a child out of wedlock and uh, I just, I felt at home. But I feel, I feel closer to the Lord than I have ever felt before. Um, and I love that he loves me for um, all my mistakes. He had a plan the whole time. And um, it was totally out of my hands. My, I, his plan is way cooler than mine. Way cooler. Even though I was going to be a professional skateboarder and part-time marine biologist at SeaWorld, his plan <laughs> is way better than that. I don't have a 401k, but... I have awesome kids and an awesome job. My husband's pretty cool. Yeah. And my church is cool too. <laughs> he could have been like, um, excuse me? What what do you mean? You you need me to show you. Like, are you are you kidding? Like, why would I need to do that? Um And he didn't. He he was just like sitting chilling, like, alright. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll, I'll show you, you know, that's, that's why I'm here. Christ has always been, it was instilled in me when I was younger. Um, and I knew over the years what I was doing was wrong and that um, all, the alcohol and the fighting and the men, it just, it was not healthy and it was not the way I should have been living my life. Um, but in order to, to calm that voice, I just drank. And I drank to shut it up and it did and it worked for a long time and then eventually it just um, like Rick said he orchestrated events to bring me to my face that night um, and that's just it, um, it's amazing <laughs>
by the power of your gospel, change us. In Christ's name. Galatians 3, all of Galatians is written. Paul goes into a region called Galatia, preaches the gospel to them. They believe it. Things are great. Paul moves on to more ministry. Some people come in behind him and say, that's great that Jesus died and resurrected, but there's these several things you got to do as well in order to be saved. Paul writes the book of Galatians in response to those people messing with the people he just preached the gospel to. Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, that means by paying attention to rules, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? What we've been talking about. Are you so stupid to think that there's something other than the power of the gospel that's going to change you? Because if you do, you're going to leave and wind up devastated. But as it is, God's going to orchestrate events to get you to this place. Two beautiful quotes that Stephanie had in that last bit. It's, he's, she said that God spoke to her, if you're not going to come to me, then I'm just going to come to you. A few minutes later, she said he had a plan the whole time. And I know we're, we're speaking this in light in the context of a girl who grew up in church, turned away, got burned by the church, and then was redeemed. That's the, that's the story that's here. But ultimately, this same story is being spoken to you. And my prayer four minutes ago was God change us with your gospel. Doesn't matter where you are on the continuum of your redemption story. If you're first getting planted of the gospel in you, if you're rebelling, if you're enjoying redemption, the gospel is speaking to you in this moment, and God wants to change you with it. Let's pray and then just let him work. God, I thank you that you are an orchestrating God. I thank you that what Satan, our one true enemy, intends for evil, you work for good. God, I thank you that the mixture of alcohol and sleeping pills and contemplation of suicide has, has wound up with a beautiful story shining light on your grace. God, I thank you for my bride and her redemption story and Brianna speaking truth into Stephanie's life 15 years later.
Thank you for your gospel. It's so beautiful. God, would you just change us, please? We want to be more like you, and we want you to pound the gospel into our souls. We thank you so much for Jesus. Oh, how we thank you for Jesus. Oh, how we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray.